This is Geek Gab with your host, Dorno, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, January 16th, 2021. And uh, it's it been a little while since we've done this. I was momentarily afeared that I would forget how to do the intro. You? No, you've got that baked in. It's part of who you are now. Do you give yourself the intro in the morning? You like sit up in bed and say, Good morning. Welcome to whatever day of the week it is. This is Daddy Warpig. I am back. We are going to kick ass today. Actually, lately, what I do in the morning is I wake up and open my eyes and curse the room I'm in for being so damn cold. And then I stare at the blanket, uh, hating, hating, hating the room for being so cold before I actually start getting up because it's so very cold. (laughs) I mean, that's January for you. January in Utah, specifically. Speaking of January... You've been waiting for months to say 2021, and it finally happened. How did it feel? I'm just glad I got it right. I'm just glad I got the right year. Yeah, it's like back when you're writing checks or something. Yeah. You'd you'd always, like the first one or two of the year, you'd always have to have a scratch out of the previous year and write the current one in. Seriously, I'm in like car wreck mode as I'm going through the sentence. I'm like, okay, you're live. You're seeing it. You're seeing it. You're seeing it. It's 2021, 2021, 2021. And like at the beginning when I'm first was first first doing this sort of thing, there was a better than 50% chance I'd car wreck it and and it would end up being last year. Uh, hey, and it's, this is why I, I encourage you to, to script it. Just have that stuff ready on a text <laughs> file. But no, you're you're a true pro. You You just got with it. Hey, um, we've got some people hanging out in chat. I just want to say, Judd, this is why you should never, ever worry. Never fret. We will always be back. And and we are. We took a, we just took a long break for our uh, holidays and for our seasonal illness. Um, yeah. All, all technical and, and biological uh, difficulties are through. We are back. And oh, I'm going to ask you, DW. Yes. How was your holiday? Uh, I'm going to say the same thing I said about Thanksgiving, which was I got to spend it with my family. So it was great. Oh, that's wonderful. A lot of people weren't able to do that this year, or a lot of people were under the illusion that they were unable to this year. Um, and, uh, and that's sad. That said, I spent it with my brother. I was down in Los Angeles, 70 degrees and sunny every day, except for two. We had uh, two days of rain, and it was pleasant. Uh, it's it's a different way to spend Christmas, I tell you what, but it was it was warm and it was welcome. Um, Got him. Yeah. Got him. That's it. Christmas is awesome. Christmas Did- is awesome. Did you get yourself anything good, or did you did you get anything good, any good loot? No, actually, I had to wait until uh, I got my Trump check to get good loot. <laughs> Was that the six hundred? Yeah. 
Um, and that actually kind of comes into the show in a little bit. So, okay, okay. <laughs> I feel bad, but I did. I had to wait on the government to get good loot this year. I, uh, I, I, you know, spending time with my brother was was uh, present enough. Um, I got him. Uh, I I got him a custom made dice tower made by a mutual friend of ours. Uh, uh, hand cut on a laser cutter and put together by himself. And, uh, oh we, yeah, I we was engraved to buy one of those. Yeah, we we engraved some personal stuff uh, on it for my brother, and so he's he's got an awesome dice tower. Yeah, Jeffro, are are we going to satisfy Jeffro earlier or later in the show, Daddy Warpig? What with what Wonder oh, Woman review? Wonder Woman review is. Is, is, he said the review should take about 30 seconds, so he wants us to talk about RPGs. Hey, well, I, I Jeff was going to push Wonder Woman off to the second half of the show anyway, because I want to talk about Tremors 2. You want to talk about Tremors? Tremors 2? Did they make a second one? They made lots of them. Oh, boy. But, but that sentence meant, I want to talk about Tremors, comma, also. Oh. Mmm. Curse English. Um, which, which is where the Trump bucks come in. Um, cause it was not <laughs> just, it was not just Christmas last month. This month, I also turn a year older. Um, which Facebook was kind enough to remind me of this morning, just in case I had forgotten that, you know, Time was progressing, and I am aging, even as we speak. My telomeres are shortening, and my body cells are giving up the ghost. Uh, my hair is getting grayer, and my um, cardiac cells are getting tireder. And uh, someday, someday, my body will decide that it's had enough of this crap, and it's just going to stop working. That's darker than I expected on the show, Daddy Warpig. You haven't been listening long, have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I kid. Um, so, yeah. This year, this month, having been something I... I really... I'm looking forward to golly turning a year older. Um, Do, I had a. Should we sing? Should we sing on show? I had a critical. No, we we, what, we should so definitely not sing. What you're saying is that I should not post the stream link for everybody in the chat so we can all jump in and sing happy birthday at once. Should <laughs> no. not do that. We should not sing. Definitely not. Yeah, I got I got bad news for your birthday next year, but go on, go on. <laughs> I had a uh, very important uh, purchase I needed to make, which I was going to purchase with my own money, but which I purchased with Trump dollars and then used my own own money to buy myself a birthday present. Um, and that birthday present was six of the seven Tremor movies that are out because they were on sale in a bundle. Um, 
So I bought all of them and then I found out they did in fact have the seventh one. So I bought that on sale for a little bit more expensive, but still quite reasonable price. And last week I started reading, I started watching the first Tremors movie, which I haven't seen in a couple decades at least. It may have been since the 90s. Tremors um, came out in, in 1990. That That's pretty much it. Yeah. So, uh, and then we were we were doing Traveler last night. Oh, Jeffro's ears just perked up. Classic <laughs> Traveler, good stuff. Yeah, the the original Traveler. I I don't even think we got the 1980 corrections in this edition. Uh, yeah, we did and we didn't. I think I, I think our game master is flip flopping between the two books. Oh, he's got one book with the corrections, one book without the corrections. Yeah, and sometimes like, we're using one, and sometimes we're using the other. Yeah, I think I think we're using the like the core rules and and the weapons rules from the revised version, and uh, some of the other source books are from various years. Um, I, I think I, I, Brian's hanging out in chat. He'll probably correct us. He's oh, he's, he's he's probably furiously opening the PDFs, going, "Wait, is is John right? Which editions am I using?" <laughs> Uh, and then I mentioned travel. Uh, I mentioned tremors during traveler, and you're like, "Well, we have to do that today." So that's on the that's on the list. Um. Well, it sounds like you should talk about tremors. Although, is there something you want to bring up or get out of the way first? Oh yeah. I saw a trailer for a new Nick Cage movie. Nicholas Cage still makes movies. Yeah. Kind tell of me surprised more. me too. Yeah, tell me more. I mean, once I mean after doing what the rock and face off, like you're done, right? You just you quit. he was in face off, right? I don't remember anymore. Yeah, he was in face off. He was also in Con Air. <sighs> oh, that's right. You is he did the rock and con air? Yeah. Holy cow. He's, he just cut his teeth on Michael Bay, didn't he? And, uh, he won an Oscar for other things. For other so like things? real. Yeah. Like real dramatic roles. He was in, uh, something with Susan Sarandon or something like actual big dramatic roles of, got him an oscar and you're like wow that's nicholas cage man he goes from like absolute insanity to you know cinema breaking landmark roles that shock everybody mentally i can't see it i i, I should probably try and view this oscar bait to see if it's any good um it's so from the 80s what this new trailer? No, his Oscar. Oh. Uh I don't remember what movie it is. My brain wants me to say terms of endearment, but I really don't think that's it. Oh uh, boy, are you gonna make me hit the search engine? Yeah. We're going to the search engine. You better think of something so. to say or I'll keep singing. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to describe the trailer. 
Because you remember when I said that Nick Cage swings from like landmark dramatic roles that earn him an Oscar to like really cool action movies to absolute insanity. Yeah. Guess which poll this movie did is. Up it, is this the action insanity? This is absolute insanity mixed with action. Yes. Fantastic. I, I, I've got a result on YouTube for a 2020 movie, Jiu-Jitsu. Is that the one? No, but that then sounds absolutely insane. I, I would like to watch that. Uh, it looks like that he's got a movie coming out in 2021 called Willy Wonderland. Is that it? That's it. So Willy Wonderland, like in Five Nights at Freddy's, the jump scare game that uh, made its bones by having Twitch streamers overreact to the jump scares. Um, you played the role of a security guard that if you got scared, you got eaten and you couldn't fight back. All you could do was like close the doors closed. But if you ran out of power, the door sprang open because that's how doors work. You have to have power flowing to keep them closed. And as soon as the power goes out, boing, they spring open on you. And you had to keep an eye out for these animatronics that wander around this place called uh, Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. Uh, and they were out for blood. Yours specifically, in case that wasn't obvious. Um, and this movie is Willie's Wonderland. It's basically Five Nights at Freddy's. If you turn Nick Cage loose, and let him do whatever he wanted. Um, because, and I am firmly convinced that the only thing that could absolutely terrify a demon-possessed animatronic animal is Nick Cage. I, I, I'm going to share a still from the trailer. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what I was about to say. Because I, 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 I just muted it and had it playing in the background while listening to your explanation it's nicholas cage beating an animatronic critter it's just yeah and he's wearing the the willie's wonderland branded t-shirt and he's beating an animatronic monster with a mop handle this the is demon possessed animatronic <laughs> of course it's demon possessed they're just like, what if, what if we took Child's Play and and that game you're talking about, and just let Nicolas Cage do whatever the heck he wanted on camera? That look at this. This still tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> With the tra watch the trailer on mute because I thought I was about to watch a John Wick film, <laughs> like the shots of him like looking grim and serious. And no, he's he's not he's not trying to avenge his beloved pet. He's you know he's he's just opening this fun land right he's like he's just working at this fun land yeah they, they they set him up he's set up to be a human sacrifice the people who run this fun land know that these animatronics are going to come to life and murder him overnight um so he has to fight back <laughs> and it's uh i think it's a blue mouse movie 
whatever it is, whatever it is. I, yes, let's see this. Holy cow. <laughs> I, I'm I, actually, I used to work with a guy who was a massive Nick Cage fan. He just like, as, as a joke, he'd have just pictures of Nick Cage on his, you know, wall right next to his computer. It's hilarious. I, I, I need to ask him about this. So, Anyways, I'm just convinced that Nick Cage, not the character, the actor Nick Cage, is the only person in the world that could terrify demon-possessed robotic animals. So, Love it. This is the type of movie that I want to sit in. Uh, catching up on the chat, uh, our, our classic traveler guy confirms that he's been deliberately transitioning to the 80s revised uh, books, but it sounds like we're sticking with the black books and the FASA adventures. Okay, um, that's cool. And and we got a save from Judd. Uh, it was leaving Las Vegas. I should have remembered that. Got oh, leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, best, best actor for Le leaving Las Vegas. I mean, I, I I don't know why we care about Nick Cage in that. Wasn't his co-star Elizabeth Shue? Yes. Yeah, that's all I need in a movie from that era. Yep, I'm good. That, that's when she was trying to move on. She was trying to remake her image as a big dramatic actress to move on from the teen role she'd had culminating with uh, Karate Kid. Uh, yeah, her uh, Adventures in Babysitting was, was a really great role. At, and then that was it, leaving Las Vegas, and then she disappeared. Uh, Emmett Fitzhuman chat says that uh, the color out of space... Uh, which is uh, based on, on an H.P. Lovecraft tale of the same name, uh, was a good movie. Uh, Nick Cage was in it. That's why it's topical. Um, so. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to see this, the Willy's, Willy's Wonderland. That is, we should do a, we should do a fan viewing of it. We should just, Put it up and and stream it and talk junk the whole time. Oh yeah, the the last the last piece of text and it says it's only coming out on streaming. Uh, and it tells yeah. Oh, we should talk about that with uh, HBO Max. Well, maybe maybe when we get to Wonder Woman, but yeah, they've they've really cornholed movie theaters, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, Matthew Martin wants to know wasn't Elizabeth Shue in the Saint movie uh, in the 90s with Val Kilmer and that's yeah. a yes yeah I, I remember that now thank you the only thing I really remember about the Saint movie is that that was when uh, people pretended to like uh, electronic music and the and Orbital did the theme for the Saint it's pretty good stuff um, Six Your Ground was also uh on the Saint soundtrack. Uh, uh, Sneaker Pimps. Yeah, that was a phenomenal song. I still love that song. It's a cool song. Yeah. That's oh, we get to we get to music nerd for a second. That's the really <laughs> weird thing when when the when the Brits got a hold of hip hop, like they really got a hold of hip hop. Instead of, I mean, yes, there are, you know, English rappers, but instead of just copying it and doing rap they took it and they took the music style the sampling the simple loops the you know the beats the you know the intricate rhythms 
and they added female vocals to it and invented a, like a whole new subcategory. Um, sneaker pimps, Massive Attack was, I think, the pioneer. Oh, yeah. Uh, Massive Attack, Sneaker Pimps, and Portishead. Portishead was probably the most popular in the U.S. They've got some uh, great stuff. Great stuff. Really cool, really weird time in music. Uh, um, all right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna message I'm gonna message our old co-host Brian Niemeyer. He needs to do a he needs to do a couple blog posts on the music part of his uh, his '90s obsession. But yeah, that really interesting weird time in music saint soundtrack was awesome can we go back to like if i'm going to go back to the past and, and live in nostalgia i'm going to say young and thin val kilmer and elizabeth bithshoe and the saint trout soundtrack that's that's going to be one of the highlights <laughs> i've been uh, i have been trawling through and I mean that in the sense of like a fishing trawler, right? Trawling through um, some of the hit top 10 hit lists on Apple Music. Or not top 10, but uh, top hit lists of a year on Apple Music. So we had a discussion on Twitter about, you know, what year was the best year for pop music? And... Uh, one person who posted it was like 1982 to 1987, but the uh, even within that spread of years, the consensus with most people was 1984. So I went and listened to uh, basically all those years. I've still got to finish 83 and 87, but I listened to all those years, and 1984 was just absolutely phenomenal. Blew the top off of everything else, and you could see – by the time you got to 1986 and 1987, it was definitely dropping off. Um, and then the last few days, I listened to uh, hits of the 90s, hits of the zero zeros, which I've still got five or six songs left in. And then I'm going to listen to hits of the 10s. And you can tell, again, that the 90s had a lot of better music. And then the zero zeros, what kind of ruins that decade for me is that um, you suddenly have like 30 to 40 percent of it is RB, um, uh, which I just I don't like it. I, I'm, it's and I'm awful, and it's it's awful. It's the corporate, <laughs> it's the corporate sludge version of you know, soul music, is what it is. Yeah, I just I don't like it, and I, I, I can't even listen to it. I had a policy once of giving a song like three listens before I fully rejected it. I, I can't even get through an entire song with, with most R&B. Um, so, yeah, that whole year is just shot through with it. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. I tell you what aughts music I've, I, I have returned to and I think is both better and worse than, uh, than I remember. Do you remember? Do you remember in the late '90s how Corn uh, sort of inspired this whole category of new metal bands? Yeah. Well, I've been listening to some of the old stuff like uh, Mudvayne, Stained, um, Seven Dust, all those sort of new metal bands, and I avoid I avoid the really campy stuff like Limp Biscuit. Like L Limp Biscuit 
always had sort of they're like winking at the camera the whole time. Um, and let me tell you what, the bad whiny garbage that turned into emo is terrible. But the songs that you remember as being catchy and good, they're really good. Like Mudvayne had a couple of really good hits. Slipknot had like one good song, and then Corey Taylor decided he wanted to whine more and started his own band. You know what I mean? <sighs> uh, it's 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 a it was a weird trend, and uh, but a couple of good things came out of it. And the the problem is the people who leaned too much on the the rap rock hybrid, like Limp Bizkit, absolutely no staying power. Like they're just it's just awful. But uh, there were some pretty good musicians back then. The uh, uh, the the rhythm section in particular. Um, yeah, Emmett mentioned uh, Lincoln Park. Yeah, I, I forgot about Lincoln Park. There's, I saw them in concert at Ozfest. They were they were okay. Um, I I had largely forgotten about them by the time the next band had finished. Um, oh. Really, so so uh, like really, Lincoln. it was a really bad trend. But uh, some of the songs that uh, that were good are still good. Just stay away from the, the rappers. Let me give you a hint, Linkin Park song that I just loved. Um, Rolling in the Deep is another one of those I've been done so wrong songs by um, Adele. Adele. Yeah. Um, which I love the percussion section on it. But I don't really like the song because I don't I, I don't like the style in which she sings. It's nothing against her. I'm not saying she's a bad singer. I just don't like her style. But uh, Lincoln Park's lead singer uh, and the keyboardist did a cover of "Rolling in the Deep," um, and you can get it on iTunes because it was done for an iTunes. Um, concert series there's a music video and there's a single you can get um and it is phenomenal it is mind-blowing i think it was done in 2011 um so if you're looking for a deep cut of lincoln park get his cover of uh, or get the lead singer's cover of rolling in the deep it is uh it is an incredible uh, single least for me i just once i found it and i don't even know what i was i don't even remember what i was looking for i might have been looking for rolling in the deep just to listen to it and found this cover of rolling in the deep and thought it was just tons better uh, i would definitely i would remain i would uh it's a recommend for me go go check it out <laughs> it's uh, i think the chat's uh, getting a lukewarm recommend vibe from you dw <laughs> <laughs> like yeah sure we'll We'll get we'll get right on downloading that Teddy Bear Pig. <laughs> right, I'm downloading it as we speak. It, I'm gonna you know I'm I'm gonna listen to it uh, during the show. That's how good you made it sound. All right. It's just, uh, but you're right. I, love I mean, I, 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 is you're right about the the trends, right? Like there's something there's something good to find in each era, but there are some eras where that it's just. This is unlistenable crap. What were we doing in the early aughts? Yeah. Um, oh, this is, we were going to talk about this not a couple weeks ago, because this was a couple weeks before we went off the air. So 
I don't know how long ago I was going to talk about this. We're all over the place today. Just out with it. <laughs> no, this is music. We're on music, so I can talk about this because it's topical now. All right, already on music. All right, we're on music. Um, you may have heard me say on the show because I've said it probably more than once. One of the things I don't like about the new pop music coming along now is that it sounds plastic and artificial. Sure. And that's why I don't like it. And I didn't know why. I couldn't define it. All I knew is it sounded plastic and artificial to me. And looking back on that description, you can say, well, that sounds a little weird. How how do how can you make music sound plastic and artificial? What does that sound like? What are you hearing that makes you think that? What is that describing? And I couldn't have told you. I only know that it was the case that when I listened to like Ariana Grande and other singers, female pop singers. Um, which is really big right now. It's it's one of the big genres right now. That and um, pretty much everything but rock and roll, which kind of hurts really bad. <laughs> um, and, and then I found out what it was just like two months ago. I'm on the edge it's, of my seat. It's pitch correction. Yes. They, in the recording studio, when a singer sings, and, and I'm not talking about the um, really outre pitch correction that Cher used on her single, you know, 15 years ago, uh, Do You Believe in Life After Love? Um, which is a, a stylistic thing to add some extreme, you know, extreme audio English on the uh, uh, on the sound of the single, or that T Pain uses. T Pain is actually a really good singer. Is He's it? actually really, really good but, when you uh, hear him sing acoustically. But he's he's like his hand is just turned on the the auto turner dial like he's he's taped the button down so that it can't not auto tune as much as possible. Right, but that auto tuning isn't auto tuning. That is uh, purposely creating an artificial sound. Yeah. Auto tuning, the original auto tuning, the actual auto tuning that goes on is completely imperceptible. All it does is change the pitch of a note so that it's perfectly on pitch so that me who can't hit notes to save my life. Most of the time I could sound like I was singing a, a song perfectly on pitch every single time. It'll adjust my sound up or down to hit, exactly what the song is supposed to be. I so, get it. It's not the T-Pain share stuff that you're used to listening to. That is done using the same plug-in, 
but that is done using really extreme settings in the plugin. It's a difference between really unobtrusive Photoshop that you can't tell is there, and then that absolutely wacky crap they put in memes. There's a huge difference between those two, even though they're both done with Photoshop. Um, so with Ariana Grande and these other people that I've been describing as plastic and fake, every single note that they sing for their songs when they record them is auto-tuned. So they are never off pitch. Ever. Well, every single note that's recorded, every single note on the single, on the masters, is perfectly in pitch. When you buy that CD, if you buy that CD or, or you know, what's, the, what's a CD? Or the single on iTunes or whatever. Every single note is perfectly in pitch with what it's supposed to be. There's no wavering. There's nothing that's slightly high or slightly low. There's no personality. There's no limitations of the voice of the singer. There's no straining to go from a really low note to a really high note. There's no humanity in the performance because it's just as perfect as the machine can make it. That's why it's plastic and artificial. Because it's completely artificial. It's wow. all smooth. It's all perfect. And it fell into the uncanny valley. It fell into the uncanny valley of vocal performances, and I could hear it, and it unnerved me, even though I didn't know why. And here's the thing. Computers are so fast now that you can process auto-tuning in real time. Oh, wow. Like in concert. In concert, and they do. When you go see Ariana Grande in concert, she doesn't have to lip sync anymore. Like she, actually, she just, to, she just has to get close enough to the note and go. Yeah, and the machine does it for her. They've got a computer set up in the back that processes auto tune, and it pitch corrects her notes before they get sent to the speakers. Ashley Simpson would never have to worry about anything uh, with today's technology. And so we, we've given up on real human beings uh, singing real songs. So while I was doing this trawling, right, while I was going through and listening to these hits of the 80s and 90s and stuff, I was specifically paying attention to the songs and how they're sung to try and compare them to what I was thinking of as artificial, having heard this autotune thing. And they're organic. The singers are sometimes breathy. 
they're sometimes high or low, and you don't longer have, and, and they're struggling sometimes to be perfect. And even back then, they'd take several different takes and put together the best takes and edit them together, but they were never perfect. Wow. And and then, then it ceases being a art form for the sake of love and beauty, and it, it becomes a manufactured product for consumption. Yeah. All right. That made me a little sad. Yeah, it stops being like a marathon, and it start, starts being like driving your SUV 26 miles. Yeah. There, there's something different there, right? And, and the other thing, too, is that they've, you know, people have studied what makes pop songs so popular with the, the sort of earworms that crop up every year. You know, there's, there's often like a song of the summer or so on and so forth. And there's, there are notes and chords and chord sequences that actually work better than others. Like they sell better. And so all these songs are like pre-written and pre-arranged. They just, it's like a mill. They just come out with new pop songs. All, all these pop singers get like the same four chords or whatever. Um, if it sounds, it all sounds the same to you. It's not just because it's auto-tuned. It's because these, these beats are designed to get into your ear and stay there. Oh, here's something else I found out that was just mind blowing. So back in the mid eighties, Beastie Boys released their first album, right? Licensed to Ill. Licensed to Ill. Um, their DJ, who they met at university, is a guy named Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin went on from being the DJ of um, the Beastie Boys and became a record producer. He was the producer of Metallica's Black Album, the one that took them from a niche speed metal band to like huge popular mainstream success. Uh -huh. um, Inner Sandman was off that album. Um, you know, the werewolf song, Shape Shift, all the uh, big hits, hit after hit after hit, were all on that album. Um, and uh, hurt being covered um, by Johnny Cash by Johnny Cash uh, he's the one who convinced Johnny Cash to release that album of covers of modern songs um, and then produced it with him way better than the original and I say that as a huge Nine Inch Nails fan uh, back then so this is Rick Rubin today Rick Rubin produces 50% of the albums that get released. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we, you've got the goose that lays the golden egg. Yeah. I, and, and that's why I was leading up to it with, with those hits. It's because it's not because he's some kind of, you know, schlub suit. It's because he can do it but still 50 percent 
the music industry is, is literally like Rick Rubin's toy. <laughs> it's his hobby, man. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the root of the blame goes to the Beastie Boys? Yeah, it's all the Beastie Boys' fault. No one, no one should have given them that license. <laughs> so yeah, I just mind blown when I heard about the auto tune thing. I just, I'm like, well, I knew it felt plastic and artificial, and that's because it was. That's a shame. And I loved, I loved. It made me treasure those tiny flaws I hadn't even noticed before in the music. Because it meant the singer was struggling. And then when the singer turned in a phenomenal performance, you knew that talent and hard work, uh, especially live, right? Especially a live performance. You knew that talent and hard work had come together to produce something great, that they had worked their ass off and that they had the talent and ability to put it together, which is why one of the reasons why I loved that Lincoln Park cover of the Adele song, because it's a live performance. It's not a canned performance where they took the best takes of all these things. And it's definitely not uh, an auto-tuned performance because it's, uh, it happened nine years ago. Uh, it's before they were doing live auto-tuning. And so you know that however good that performance is, it's naturally good because of his talent and his hard work. And it makes you treasure those kinds of things all the more because you know they're not uh, piping it through a PC to make it as perfect as possible. Good. I'm glad that people are still doing that. I just, I, I love people who are trying hard and doing something that's difficult and the imperfections in it show how difficult it is, uh, especially when you're dealing with like really talented people. That just shows, you know, it's like watching an acrobat walking a tightrope, the fact that the bar is wobbling a little bit doesn't show that they're doing it badly. It shows how difficult it is and they're doing it well. Hmm. And it is difficult. It's very yeah. difficult. Well, much respect to the great artists who actually put the time and effort into get good as... Yeah. Uh, as as video game players would say. Um, I'm glad we did a music episode. That was fun. I, I, I had to get that off your chest. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to do that for a month and a half or so. I had some had some deep thoughts had been bothering me about music, and I had the opportunity to peruse a lot of music. Uh, uh, I don't want to shill for things, but I do occasionally shill for like Shudder, the horror movie uh, streaming website. I'll shill for that again. It's been well worth my money, um, even though I didn't mean to spend the money. 
I got to the end of the trial and I forgot to turn it off and ended up spending like 60 bucks. I didn't mean to spend. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a Shutter subscriber for the next year. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you. <laughs> they don't care if you actually use the service once that charge hits. Um, oh, by the way, WandaVision is out on Disney Plus, so I guess I'm going to be watching that because because I I guess I'm too dumb. It's only a month at a time on Disney. It's not like I'm stuck for a year, but I guess <laughs> I guess I'm gonna be watching WandaVision next. So all right. I, I, I look forward to your review. I, I wouldn't even view that crap for free. Reviews, huh? Were we gonna do some reviews today? You know what? It's it's all up to you. I, I sure hope that anybody listening to the show later. I'm, I'm going to put timestamps in the description. So if they actually care about what you think about Wonder Woman, they can just skip to that part. The secret is everybody who listens to the show before knows that all the stuff that we talked about before Wonder Woman is actually the best part of the show. <laughs> tremors. Tell me about Tremors. Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, it had a great intense moments. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it really is a good horror show. And uh, they developed the biology of the creature. Uh, and we're, we're going to go into the writer route right now. They developed the biology of the creature so it could unfold over the course of the movie um, in a series of escalating tense, uh, of, of tuning, turning up the tenseness of the situation. It gets worse and worse and worse. Because at first they don't know what they're dealing with, and then they think they're dealing with, uh, you know, some kind of big weird-looking snake, and then they think they're dealing with multiple snakes, and then they think they're dealing with, um, you know, clusters of snakes, multiple clusters, and then they find out they're dealing with these that the snakes are actually the tongues of these giant creatures and then they find out these creatures are not slow they're really fast and, and it just keeps going um and so the biology of the creatures was developed so as to make the tension the necessary ratcheting up of tension for a thriller um possible and i think that's a great lesson for writers to take away from the movie is that uh, a little bit of foresight and a little bit of planning can help you, uh, can pay off in your novel, building the tension in, in what you want to do. And uh, it's always, you know, ramping it up. And at the same time, they used humor uh, as a great way to break down that tension in between uh, moments. Uh, and it was just entertaining as hell because the humor actually worked. They had characters uh, with some entertaining personalities that you just like to be around. It was very character-driven human or humor. Like all the characters had their own little quirks and everything like that, and they didn't really have. I um, horror movies like to slap on an extra, extra conflict between the characters like this oh i hate that guy or i love that no all the characters they're all just different and you can tell that they've sort of been living in this little town uh you know for a great deal of their lives and so they just they just bounce off each other in different ways and in fun ways 
um, brilliant, really. And I mean, even the there's a there's a role that gets filled in a lot of movies, um, and I I call it the designated dipshit. Um, I'm gonna have to rephrase that because I don't swear like that anymore. But I haven't yet, and I am too tired to come up with a new phrase right now. <laughs> but if you remember Independence Day, the guy who's the head of the CIA. Um, yeah, he's, he's used as a foil. Just He's always wrong. He's just there to be wrong, so every all the other characters can be right. Even when he switches positions. He's wrong. Right. Like he says, no, we shouldn't launch the nukes. No, we shouldn't launch the nukes. No, we shouldn't launch the nukes. And he's wrong and he's wrong and he's wrong. And the president is bold and brave because he launches the nukes. And then the nukes don't work. And the president says, okay, we're going to have to try another plan. And then he switches, immediately switches. And says, no, no, no. This could still work. Same guy. As soon as the nuke doesn't work, he starts arguing for the nukes, and he's still wrong. Because the good guy president has decided the nukes won't work. So, he's just there to be annoying. He's just there for the audience to hate. He's just there to be stupid and wrong. Nobody in this movie is, you know... Dickhead's even worse. That's not better. <laughs> <laughs> My brain threw out designated dickhead. I'm like, no, that's not better. <laughs> that's not better. <laughs> so, uh, even so, there's no one in this movie like that. And that's a good thing. I mean, the closest you get is that really annoying kid who's always trying to be scared or always trying to scare people or, or be obnoxious. But even then he's not bad. Uh, and he gets, he does good stuff and, you know, he gets a little comeuppance at some point. Uh, and, and he's mostly just a kid. He's just a teenager. Yeah. Um, so the humor was worth it. The character driven humor was great. Um, the single best shot in the movie is when Bert Gummer, who, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, he's a, he's a survivalist. They moved to this valley to be geographically isolated in case World War III started. And they've got all these prepper supplies and guns and things like that. They're very into the Second Amendment. Um, he is played by the father from Family Ties. If you're old like me and you know what that show is. Awesome casting. And yeah, he does a great job. He just inhabits the role. His wife is Reba McIntyre. Yep. He's played by Reba, Reba McIntyre. And she does a great job. And the best single shot of the movie is one of the creatures comes through his 
basement wall and they're shooting with the guns and the guns aren't working. So they back up and they back up and they back up and you think they're getting pushed up against the wall and they're going to get killed. And then the camera just moves over two inches and you see that the wall behind them is covered with guns. <laughs> like 30 guns, 40 guns. <laughs> and they're all different and they're all loaded. <laughs> and I'm going to say the line wrong and I'm sorry, but it's something like, you broke into the wrong damn wreck room, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. It's got so many quotable lines in it. It just memorable funny um and, and that's that's preceded by you know establishing the character as a you know a, a paranoid survivalist which when of course this is the type of person where you're like yeah you're you're overreacting you're you're a little nuts right but then everybody makes fun of him Everybody makes fun of him, but then when when you realize that you're in this sort of horror movie, you're like, no, that's exactly the guy you want to be. <laughs> that's the that's exactly the guy you want as a neighbor. And, and they say that that's the funny funny thing that happens right after is they're on the radio with him, and he kills this creature. <laughs> and one of the other characters turns to to his friend and says, "We're not going to be able to make fun of him anymore, are we?" <laughs> Here's the best part of the movie. The best part of planning and foresight. One fact that is key to the climax of the film is established in like the very first minute or two of the movie and then never mentioned again. They just show it to you. Put it on screen for a decent, decent enough length of time that you know it's there and then don't mention it again. So that when you get to the end of the movie, you're reminded of it a little bit, and then something else happens that you maybe couldn't predict, and you're just like, wow. They actually set that up. I mean, it's 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 a B-monster movie. That doesn't mean it's stupid. It doesn't mean they didn't think through the script, because they thought through how the movie was going to end and set up how that would work right at the beginning of the movie. And they thought through all those moments of increasing tension and built the anatomy of the creatures to cause that, an unfolding of the secrets of the creatures. The people who wrote the script really worked hard on making the movie work. They didn't just slap things together in a series of meaningless mystery boxes and moments. They actually bothered to put the movie together well, to think it through. Uh, and, and, and it was entertaining to watch. Um, and it was great to think about afterwards when I was thinking back over the plot. It's about uh, an hour and 35 minutes, I think. Um, so it's not super long. It's not one of these long modern movies, two hours, two and a half hours, whatever. Uh, and there's a ton of people in it, too. This was supposed to be my job. This is what I said last night, that I was going to look this up. 
Guess what? Mm, you didn't. I did not. Are you but talking about the size of the cast? No, no, yeah, the size of the cast, but also who is in it. Um, Kevin Bacon, mean, obviously. Like this IMDb page I had specially prepared for this moment. Oh, you're so good. Uh, well, why don't you why don't you uh, talk about it for those uh, who are listening later? Um, it has. Uh, Kevin Bacon, and obviously, so all these people get linked to Kevin Bacon. If you ever play the Kevin Bacon game, this is a great movie uh, to pick up some scores. It's got the little girl from Jurassic Park, Little Miss. I know this. It's Unix. Uh, she plays a uh, a scared little girl. I, uh, I I hope that's not too much of a stretch. Um, Carol Marcus, this is the one I couldn't remember last night, Carol Marcus from Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, right? The Genesis planet? Mm -hmm. She's in here. She plays the uh, wife of the doctor. Um, and, uh, that was a real shock to me once I realized it was her uh, a few minutes after she came on screen. Um, it's got Egg Chen from uh, Big Trouble in Little China in it. Um, it's got a guy named Tony Gennaro who shows up as a character actor in lots and lots of movies. Um, I'm just looking at his. Uh, he's been in everything. Everything. I mean, he was in he's anger just, management. He's one of those guys that's always there. Like, yeah, we need a we need a guy to do this. Boom. Phenomenon. Bring, bring in Tony. The craft. Uh, lots of TV shows. Basically, everything you've ever heard of, he's been there. You'd recognize his face when you saw it. <laughs> um. I do at least because I've seen him in all those things. Um, uh, so yeah, it's just Fred Ward. Um, the The two main guys are Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon. Uh, Fred Ward uh, uh, was in the True Detective series. Um, Let's see. You're supposed to be talking while I'm reading, or or you're supposed to be reading while I'm, I'm talking. I, I, I'm reading. I'm clicking on things. Okay. Um, Fred Ward. Well, I was trying to keep the list up on screen, but Fred Ward, True Detective. Uh, so, he's done some other stuff that I, I, I would never watch. I didn't know he was on ER. Yeah, but at least these guys went on to do a bunch of other stuff and in, in not to mention the people who were already really popular when tremors came out people like kevin bacon and michael gross like well-known people it's so what I'm, my the point is my point is uh they got a, a bunch of actors who you either would will see in the future after this movie 
go on to have careers or had done prominent things before this movie. They didn't just pick, you know, five bland but gorgeous teenagers to kill off one by one. They picked character actors, people who were weathered, people who looked like they live in this, you know, frontier town. They look like they've had, you know, colorful, uh, long lives. Um, they look like people you'd see in a small town like this. And it made it interesting. People with character. Absolutely. Just made it believable instead of instead of a camp full of kids getting knocked off. Which, you know, don't get me wrong. I love those kinds of movies. But this wasn't that kind of movie. These are ranch hands and handymen. And, you know. <laughs> oh, Crazier survivalists. Crazy survivalists. I love it. I love it. What a classic. It is a classic. It's an older movie. And if you haven't seen it, you definitely owe it to yourself to go see it. Uh, it's well worth the time. Um, and uh, I got the six movies for, uh, I want to say, 40 bucks or 35 bucks. So that's a deal. That's a steal. It's a sale of the flipping century. Um, Name that movie. So I only got to watch the first Tremors this week. I didn't have time to watch Tremors 2 because, uh, like I said, I, I really am busy as heck, but just so delightful. And it's so quotable. There are so many great one-liners. We've only talked about one of them, but there are one-liner after one-liner. You just got to... I'm giving this a recommend. Thumbs up. Absolutely. One of, one of the most fun <laughs> films I've ever seen. And I don't like watching movies more than once. I've seen this one a few times. Always fun. Um, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Hey, we're, we're, uh, we're over time. Let's talk about Wonder Woman. Uh, it was not completely, totally, and in every other way horrible. Whoa. Let me explain. <laughs> That's not what I expected to hear. There were some great moments in it. Uh, Chris Pine's character came from, you know, 1917 America to 1984 America. And they really did give him moments of pure delight and joy. Um at how advanced airplanes had become, at some of the you know technology and other things he found in 1984 America, and they were, uh, they drew me in and made me experience vicarious delight. It was delightful seeing how delighted that character was. Um. The director of the movie was also the screenwriter and also came up with the story along with Jeff Johns, who I think was just... Jeff Johns is a writer for DC. Um, DC Comics. 
And I think he was just put there to kind of help her write the story. But she wrote the script. And she doesn't know how to write scripts. You can tell she's trying very hard. You can tell she knows what she needs to do to write a script. She is not completely inept. There are people who just don't know how to write a script. They don't know that if you want bad guy B to attack the hero from a helicopter, you have to set up the fact that he's in a helicopter earlier in the movie. It just never occurs to them that that's necessary. Hmm. She knew, she knows that you do have to do that. She's aware of it. And she tries to do that in her script and does. I'm not saying she doesn't do that. She does do that. She's just not really good at it yet. She has potential. It's just that this should not have been the project that she cuts her teeth on her first screenwriting job. I see. She's not good enough at it yet. Patty Jenkins, that's her name. Uh, well, on the other hand, allow me to play devil's advocate. Maybe the powers that be knew that this was going to be a throwaway um, addition to the franchise and gave her a quote-unquote safe project. What do you think about that? That is possible, but if so, that's monumentally stupid. Um, Yet here we are with dozens of superhero movies. Because and, one and, and nothing and nothing good that's come. Then there's been nothing good come out since Tremors, 1990. Because Wonder Woman is the only DC movie that made them big bucks it's the only success they have under their belt really i recall we were way nicer to wonder woman than we should have been when we yeah. saw it um i think our verdict was that it was an above average but not great movie uh that was still enjoyable um this Wonder Woman, the plot doesn't hang together. They're trying to do too many things with the plot that don't really make sense when put together the way they are. There's too many villains, too many plot elements. And it just thematically speaking... The theme, the lesson they're trying to teach Wonder Woman that's supposed to be deep and, in, deep and uh, introspective and uh, interesting and stuff, it just doesn't work. It doesn't really fit together well. Um, and Kate McKinnon... Uh, the only movie of hers I've seen is Ghostbusters 2016, and that did not dispose me well towards her, although she's not a terrible actress, and I've been told she's a good comedian. 
she was not a good choice to play Cheetah. Just not. The terrible idea, they should have cast somebody else. They should have cast someone who could at least nominally be in the same hotness league as Gal Gadot. Sure. Because um, that's who Cheetah is. She's hot. Um, Are you said uh, you said someone else? Are you thinking Kristen Wiig? Kristen Wiig. Sorry, Kate McKinnon was the other lady in the Ghost in Ghostbusters. Yeah, Kristen Wiig was just not a good choice. She did a good job with the material, just her physicality wasn't a good choice for the role. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I'll just come out and say it. She's too old. Yes. Sorry. She's too old for it. That you don't you don't send you don't send a 45-year-old or however she is to be a action supervillain. Doesn't happen. Don't do it. They everybody everybody's going to see. I, I, okay. On the other hand, um, Kate Blanchett was fun in Thor Ragnarok, which wasn't a particularly good movie, but at least she had the, I don't know. She, they, she had the makeup and the, she had that, like that timeless quality to her that, that, yeah. that made you buy into it just enough. Um, the bad guy was the discount Nathan Fillion. They really should have cast Nathan Fillion in the role because Nathan Fillion would have been perfect. Um, and I can't remember his name right now, but he plays the Mandalorian. Uh, oh, okay. That's uh, his name is Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal plays the bad guy. Um, so he's he's got that sort of here. I'll for those of you on YouTube, I'll I'll bring up his IMDb page. IMDb page. He uh. My problem with him is the same problem I had with Black Mask in the Birds of Prey movie. They couldn't make a strong masculine villain, so they made kind of a wimpy villain. And the masculine role was taken over by Cheetah. She's the heavy. She's the bruiser. Um, well, that's funny. I mean, this dude, he's got this classic square-jawed, tall, dark, and handsome thing going on. He could probably do a he could probably do a James Bond type supervillain. No. They did have an interesting thing going on where he's he was born as this really, really poor guy and you know went through some bad stuff and he's just trying to make money for his family, and then he has this sweet moment with his son at the end of the movie. So, you know, he's not really totally all bad and stuff, but it, it doesn't quite work. None of it quite gels. Because they're trying to layer like four or five stories on top of each other. 
Um, Diana learns a lesson as one story. Uh, Diana tries to get her true love back as another story. Um, Cheetah's whole deal with being jealous of Diana. They've got a Tony Stark story in there, too. Because what's the Tony Stark story? The Tony Stark story? Yeah. The what's, Tony Stark's villains, what are they all? Oh, they're all just Tony Stark. They're, they're jealous just, of Tony Stark. Jealous so of Tony of Stark. So that's Cheetah's story. She's jealous of Diana and wants to become Diana Prince. That, that's where, that's really? Where, that's it? That's where she gets her got her powers from. Uh, Pedro Pascal's story of, you know, wanting to become rich and powerful so uh, his family won't ever be poor again. Um, and Cheetah's... Uh, subplot of uh almost getting sexually assaulted at one point and then uh taking it out on genuinely bad people genuinely awful people she goes around beating up okay so um, like some sort of revenge yeah, fantasy it's it's a revenge fantasy thing make make me powerful like wonder woman so i can have all the revenge i want yeah and, and don't get me wrong. Some of those scenes are actually really cool. And and you're happy when she beats up real scuzzbags. Um, you know, she kicks this one guy into the side of a panel, uh, into the side of one of those metal box trucks that uh, portable kitchens come in or, you know. Okay. Uh, and dents the truck and you're like, that's cool. I'm perfectly happy with this guy getting what's coming to him because mm -hmm. <laughs> he's a real scumbag. It's not like she goes around beating guys up and taking their clothes and motorcycle for saying, you could smile, you know. Um, this is not Captain Marvel level cringe. Uh, so. Sorry to hear yeah, that. Th they're layering. It is not as bad as Captain Marvel. <laughs> Come on. Um, they're trying to layer these five stories on top of each other. And maybe one I forgot, so that might be six. And they're just not... There's just too much there. Just Cheetah by herself would have been enough to carry an entire movie. I see. Um, with all this other stuff added on top, it, it, it just became too much. And, and it made the movie muddled. Um, and it made the movie really confusing. Not that you were confused by the sequence of events or whatever, but too many things were happening once uh, one thing after another after another and the movie starts like two or three times it has like three different starts to the movie right after each other oh you know how the lord of the rings return of the king they say had three endings sure this movie this movie had three beginnings 
And that was kind of obnoxious. <laughs> uh, and one of the beginnings had nothing to do with anything else that happened in the entire rest of the movie. It was just a bunch of Amazons and Themyscira running around doing this athletics thing, athletics competition thing. So it was completely pointless. I never liked any of those scenes in, uh, you know, among the Amazons. In fact, if you've seen, uh, if you saw Justice League, um, it's, it's doubly pointless because all you're thinking when you're watching it is, wow, look at all these characters who are dead. Right. All of them. She's dead, and she's dead, and she's dead, and she's dead. Um, Steppenwolf wiped all of you out. I mean, they're showing you how impressive and tough and badass they are, and you're, and you're like, he wiped all of you out in less than a minute of screen time. Let's time it. <laughs> dead. All of you dead. We've got 14 minutes to go in this fake beginning of a movie. They could have cut that 15 minutes out and wouldn't change the damn thing. Literally added nothing to the movie. Yeah. Yep. It, however, it did give all the actresses from the last movie who played the little girl Diana and Diana's mom and, you know, the vizier or bodyguard or whoever who trained Diana, it did give all of them a paycheck. There you go. Um, also, the lady who played Mystique originally. Um, Rebecca Romaine. Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Yeah, it gave her a paycheck too. There you go. And Princess Buttercup. Yep, Princess Buttercup. All of them got a paycheck when they wouldn't have otherwise. So I guess it was a good thing. So, it's it sounds dreadful, Daddy Warpig. It sounds absolutely dreadful. I'm not saying it's a good movie. I'm not recommending the movie. I'm saying there were some emotional beats that really worked. And it's not as bad as Ghostbusters. It's not as bad as Captain Marvel. And the story actually could have been could have worked out if uh Patty Jenkins had been a more experienced screenwriter or other people had been had written the story and written the script. It sounds like someone someone needed to be there to rein someone else in, someone to sort of sculpt it down to something. It needed to be simplified Watchable. and uh but, I mean, when was the last time that happened in Hollywood? I don't know. I, I, I don't think the big studios do that anymore. Anyway. She was just reaching beyond her uh, experience level. Maybe she has the talent to write scripts. Maybe she has the talent to write stories. But right now, she doesn't have the skill or insight to keep them simple, to keep them direct, 
uh, and to focus on the core story and not on ephemera. And she, uh, she still is a, a, a lot beguiled by feminism. Mm. Naturally. Um, so well, as you, as you said, we got some of the same people who worked on Ghostbusters 2016 who thought that you didn't need a good script as long as you got the, um, funniest SNL comedians to ad lib. Anyway, I, I, I'm thoroughly disgusted by everything I've heard and I wish this movie was never made and I never want to see it. <laughs> That's a perfectly defensible response. Thank you for taking that bullet for everybody, Daddy Warpig. I got some moments of enjoyment out of it, so and I got I watched it for the show, so it's not like I wasted my time. Absolutely. So those of you out there who have your own podcast, maybe you can watch it. It won't be a waste of your time, but I wouldn't take those odds. Have have you considered a rousing game of Russian roulette instead? Um, do, I a, do I have to put a disclaimer in there? I do not encourage anybody to play Russian roulette ever under any circumstances. Yes. Let's be let's, let's be safe. Let's be uh, let's be safe for YouTube. Um. I mean, that's it. That's everything. I, we are we are well over time, and I'm glad to hear your. Uh, thoughts on Wonder Woman uh, and everything else. Uh, I had fun today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say thanks for joining me again. It's awesome to be back on the show. I'm happy for 2021. There's gonna be more great things in the works as uh, as the universe gets crazier and crazier. Um, big thanks to everyone in chat. We've been hanging out, chatting about movies and comics and games and everything all day. Awesome to have you guys around. And I hope everybody listening later uh, has enjoyed the discussion. But uh, I'm done talking for today, Daddy Warpig, because I've got brunch waiting for me. Uh, the rest is yours. Uh, I want to thank everybody who uh, tuned in live and participated in the chat. Completely awesome. I want to thank everybody who uh, will be listening later on um to the archive on youtube.com where you can't participate in the chat, but you can read it and see all the uh, awesome, awesome stuff uh, that uh, our mad lad chat bros got up to. Um, had a great chat as always. Uh, or you can catch us on soundcloud.com, the Google Play Store, or the iTunes Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab and you can listen to us and download it. And of course, we're available on youtube.com slash youtube.com. We are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.